Hi, and welcome to the Pride Road Architects podcast. I'm Lisa, Lisa Rains, and each episode I'll talk to people who interest me in the world of architecture and business. So join me and fellow lions and lionesses as we explore architecture in the den. So hi everyone and welcome to Architecture in the Den and today I'm joined by Kwamina Beecham um, and so before we go any further would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi guys my name is Kwamina Beecham I am an architect really? I'm based down in London um, and I've had experience pretty much all of the south of England I did my part one in Plymouth uh, my part two in Birmingham City and my part three in Westminster. Right um well thanks for that um and when did you qualify so i qualified this march um actually yeah, so that's why you let out a little yay yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you said you're an architect exactly yeah. so it looks um, like it's been quite a, a long journey for you yes it has been um i started my part when i was 18 and i'm now 33 so um i am in a perfect example of um the seven years not really being seven years mm. um, although I did I, I got married in the right in the middle of my of my studying or my qualification studying um and I'm father of, of my daughter she's two now um so life did life didn't stop for me um whilst I was preparing to be an architect so how did it affect you so did you do your part ones in one go or did you did it take longer than three three years? So it took longer than three years to do part one. Um, and that's something actually I want to touch on a bit later. Um, ah. And uh, I met my now wife at the end of my part one. She's not an architect. Um, and so we got married after my part one and before my part two. So there was, there was a couple of years in between that. So we got married um, did my part two. Um, being married on the part two was an interesting experience because we also lived in Gloucestershire because that's where mm. we were based. So I was commuting to Birmingham. So I was commuting, I was a husband, I was also a student at the same time. So I was doing a lot of, um, me, me and the M5 became good friends. I um, was doing a lot of switching of hats. Um, and then after I finished with part two, we moved to London. So I'm originally from London. So we moved, I mean, moved back. My wife, it was the first time moved. And um, we're now based in the Southeast. Wow. Yeah, so how far's Gloucester to Birmingham? It's about 70 miles each way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So oh. um, I was yeah, it was it was a tough one because um we moved to Gloucester. I moved to Gloucester because my father-in-law wasn't too well. So we oh, okay. made the decision to live closer to my wife's side of the family. Yeah. Um, and he had a terminal cancer. And so it was also we, we we the decision to move was a good one and we're glad we did it. But it just meant a few sacrifices. And thankfully, I have a very supportive wife and she has a very stable NHS job. So that was what was really funding us, funding me be able to, you know, drive 70 miles each way um, and sort of study in Birmingham. Um, it did really focus the mind a bit. Yeah. Well, there's this expense in traveling. Yes. And, and then and on a course like architecture where it's so demanding, were you in college every day every other day I was going up um, right. there's a thing where 
we looked at our sums and we 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 sort of took the long the long game. We're like, okay, for the first for the next five six years or so, mm. we're gonna have to be very careful. So we didn't go on holiday. We didn't have things like Sky TV or anything like that. Mm. Um, my car was relatively old, but it was quite reliable. Um, and so we were able to make the maths make the sums work. Living in Gloucestershire, the the, the rent prices were, were a lot lower than than now. Um, and so it was it was one of the things where whenever we needed something it was available and I mean even public transport it was more expensive to go by public transport than to drive mm. so it was it was it, it became became a bit of a no-brainer to you know, going up the motorway every couple of days wow so it's quite a so it, there's a lot of planning involved in that isn't yeah. there I mean it's one of the yeah. skills that we have as architects is to be able to problem solve and and, and plan these yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Plan, plan life around I was I was uh, talking at Liverpool John Moores last night and we were talking about kind of working you know the studying and the long hours culture of studying but when you when you've got those real life issues alongside studying it really does focus the mind yeah it, it does and I think it also highlights a lot of the issues we have in the, within the profession which are historical um I mean I'm, I'm fully aware traditionally a lot of my cohort and my colleagues they had parents who were architects or they had fan members who were architects mm -hmm. my parents are professionals but they're not, they're not architects mm -hmm. so for me the first time I experienced architecture properly was on my part one so I already came in at a deficit um mm. and then you have tutors I mean not I mean 99% of tutors I mean I've done it myself are great but you get the 1% who have a view of the world which is not how should I say it, which is not um inclusive of all mindsets and all backgrounds mm. so although I was able to keep up academically uh, little things like okay so what's a plan what's an elevation what's a section I they're saying you should have had experience of this and said from where I came through the education system so I went to a good school but they're not teaching architecture in secondary school they're teaching design technology physics maths art so how are you going to get these skills there's an expectation mm. of coming into the profession you should already be should know how to do these things mm. and me being myself I was not stubborn but I questioned a lot I said okay why why is that that's not fair because there are how many people who have a background like myself or who who are more who are smarter, who are not as smart, who have the skills that we need in the profession, but they are being shut up because of financial pressures, the social pressures, and because they, they join the, the School of Architecture and they are, it's, I mean, it's sort of the, the Lord of the Flies where the, the, the toughest succeed. And I remember I was, when I started, I was one of, seven or eight black men on the course mm. i'm the only i myself and another one the only ones who actually qualified um they all dropped by the wayside just because in, in during their part ones yeah during the part ones yeah yeah during the part ones and and it's it, it was a it was a tough learning curve for me for part one that's why it mm. took me five years to do my three mm. um because it was and it wasn't even big issues as things like the first time i had to work during my during my first years there um, mm. because my, even my parents supported me with how much much they could the course is expensive and so I ended up missing the pass by one two percent and and then with the resubmissions it, I felt like I was geared up to not necessarily progress and 
that's when I really was confronted with a lot of tacit information that you're expected to know. So if you if you don't know, who's going to tell you? So I learned the hard way. Um, okay, you need to ask more questions. You need to be able to be in the rooms where these conversations are happening. And I managed to get through my part one. Um, met mm. my now wife, and that was a big that was a big motivation for me. Seeing I was like, okay, my life is not just mine anymore. I mm -hmm. I, I take I took my vows seriously. So if I, my success is hers, so I need to make sure that I'm doing the best I can. I'm uh, looking at all opportunities, and she pushed me every every step of the way. Um, but yeah, it's it was a the part one was a, a big learning curve, and then the part two sim similar things happened where. Um, you have a it's, it's, it's no it's, it's not it's not far removed from what we've heard about in the Bartlett I was quite lucky I went to universities which did not encourage bullying like the, the, the school was very hot in it and I enjoyed my part one two and three but there are there were still influences from from uh, from external influences who, who were like you do not fit this mould that I have of profession and they wouldn't explicitly say or oh, I don't even think they realize it themselves so hence why I'm not I mean I'm not going to name anybody because they don't know it's not it's not it's not necessarily it's not like the cartoon villain where they're thinking aha this person's going to fail it's more like there's you have a different way of seeing life to me and I don't know how to approach it um and that's a big thing in our profession it's a massive thing where hopefully now it's changing but it's not changing quick enough. Are you, um, well, one of the reasons why I kind of got in touch with you was because I saw that you were standing for the RIBA Council. Yes. Um, are you involved in sort of education, architectural education at all? Um, it, I was um, up until about my part three, because um, I decided to sort of step back to focus on that. Um, and I'm actually looking to get back into it. So if anyone hears this and wants me to, talk to the young minds feel free to get to drop me a message <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, i'm very much interested in it because even during my part two i took a my, there's a module which was a teaching module um and so i was i was quite uh, i had a tutor who's, who was very who, who allowed us to sort of figure out our own brief so i i did uh, some drop-in sessions for the part one students um on a on thursday friday when i had a free morning and added to that i taught DT and design skills to sick formers in Wolverhampton and I sort of looked at if I teach these secondary schools kids the skills that we take for granted so the things like photoshop things like uh, graphics and sketchup and basic things how would they perform if I compared them to students in the part one who didn't have that that um experience and actually, I realized the students who were five, six, three, four years older than the second school students, well, they were neck and neck. Because mm. if I gave the second school students this, the same level of skills that I expected the part ones, they were able to pick it up very quickly. So it was not an issue of you're just not good enough. It was an issue of you're just not smart enough. It was an issue of what have you been exposed to? Yeah. And that was something which I then took on when I did some more tutoring um, during my part two. So I became a visiting tutor every so often. I had in the back of my mind, these students come from different walks of life. So I want to entice them to, to go back into that, to, to, to look at the rich tapestry of where they come from, instead of, especially being a, being a son of, son and daughter of immigrants, instead of whitewashing your heritage, encouraging to look back at your heritage. Like for myself and my parents come from Ghana, I'm, I'm, I'm British Ghanaian, 
the idea of a house is completely different to in garden than it is to here. Here we have the the traditional two up, two down, front garden, back garden, driveway if you're lucky. In Ghana, West Africa, you have the compound home where the whole family live there. They have their own units within the compound home, but the, the family is within walls. Mm. Whereas in the UK, it's very much mum, dad, 2.5 kids. If the cousins live 10 minutes down the road, you see them on special occasions, but it's not, it's not, you're not shared, it's not a shared household. And even that is at odds with how we design in this country but then especially in a place like where i live near london a lot of people you're designing for are not necessarily british so you're so you're, you're, you're trying to put a square peg in a round hole mm. wow fantastic um so those skills that you're talking about kind of um uh, architecture 101 the kind of basics shouldn't they be incorporated in the degree course they should be and, and thankfully they are um at the time i i joined because I, I started in 2007 way back when mm. and that was when a lot of the i saw a lot of the sand the shift was shifting so uh, we had tutors who were very much like we want to teach these skills and there was a, a feeling of you know the red tape we now come up, up against in the profession sort of slowing things down a bit and you have one tutor who you have some tutors who would champion the students for who they are and others who are they're just not good enough because mm. they don't know what they don't know um so yes those skills were taught but it was a thing where how do you you've got 150 students how do you make sure each and every one of them understands mm. it's not mm. physically possible knowing how relatively little tenured tutors are paid it's it's, it's a tough job mm. Mm. yeah <laughs> i studied back in the uh in the 90s <laughs> and and so i i went to leeds poly that was um and then i went on to bartlett mm. so i was a, a a student at the bartlett that we were talking about yeah. <laughs> i'm not going to comment on yeah, my yeah the irony is being from london i avoided the london unis because it felt <laughs> like it was too close to home i i would i really to really experience a different side of the country because we live in a bubble in the southeast and i mean it's it, i talk to people who've never left london even though they're perfectly happy and they say oh well, that's how it is across the country so it's not you leave the m25 and it's not i mean i i was the first girl in my family to go to university um and my dad my dad was a builder's merchant um so we're Jewish so, and so we're what fourth generation immigrants mm -hmm. um and so sort of everyone been in well my, my, my granddad was a builder my dad was a builder's merchant and I was the first one to go to uni um so they said to me uh, my, my dad said to me um we were going into a recession as I was doing my a-levels he said go mm -hmm. into architecture um the climate will be fine when when you come out of it in seven years time <laughs> as we hit another dip um, <laughs> seems a regular occurrence yeah. um and i did my degree in leeds uh just got into leeds poly and then i um i really fancied i really wanted to go down to london to do my part twos and my dad said to me um you know because he was funding me he was like you know if you're going to london 
uh, it has to be UCL. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Fortunate. Uh, and and I got offers from all of the all of the London unis and chose UCL, the Bartlett, <laughs> and had a challenging experience. <laughs> yeah. I think thankfully the times are changing, but I really I really I don't like the idea of suffering as a badge of honor. Because I really I mean I, I remember during part one and part two, um mm. having conversations with, with colleagues saying, Well, part two especially because I traveling 70 miles a day I couldn't afford to pull all-nighters and then safely get to uni I had to make sure I'm in bed by a decent hour so I've got to make sure the day before is a structured day so I never came in until I've worked all night on this I was like well I'm fresh as a daisy because I've been on the road for, for an hour and a half two hours I yeah. printed everything the day before but I've got the same level of work so why are we that fashion glorifying the, the struggle it it shouldn't be a struggle it should be we, we were talking about this last night um it was a discussion on well-being in architecture and um you know we had two tutors from um liverpool university and one um, and one from liverpool john moores and you know they were talking about badge of honor you know the mm. language around it is mm. still venerating these long you know this long hours work culture you know badge of honor in um and but i think it's about learning those time constraints if mm. you're going back now to mm. teach someone who doesn't necessarily have those time constraints how would you suggest to you know a year one or a year two two student to to set set up some some boundaries um, it's funny you say that because i actually have had this conversation over the years many times with yeah with students it's I say you look at your day as valuable to you. And I use an analogy. Um, when I moved house a couple of years ago, I decided to do it myself um, and so rented a fan, got everything moved. And my dad being the accountant that he is, he's like, okay, you've saved the money on movers, but how much did the van cost you and how much is your time worth? Mm -hmm. And then I sort of did a rough calculation. Actually, I spent more money because I value my time. So I say to them, okay, of the, of the days you have, of that 24 hours you have in the day, you're sleeping, let's say you want to sleep 12 of them to be to be uh, or be resting for 12 of them. That leaves you with 12 hours. Of that 12 hours, how much do you want to spend eating it or how much do you want to spend relaxing or how much do you want to spend um, do you want to spend not working? So you start deducting those hours and you realize you've got roughly eight hours of a day. Mm -hmm. Of that eight hours, how long are you spending on social media? Even just picking up your phone to scroll quickly at a message, that takes time. So if you start being quite um, structured with what you're doing at the time, you realize actually you can get a lot done in eight, eight hours. Um, I, I, I make sure when I, when I come to the, to the office, I'm working as hard as I can for that time so that when I leave on time, I don't feel guilty. I mean, there are days where the, you can't avoid it. Uh, there's deadlines, there's pushes, things change. Those are, the, uh, those are not the norm, they're the anomaly. Um, and what, what, I, what I disagree with is when you are constantly working 12 hour 13 14 hour days your health deteriorates and and the people around you struggle as well i mean if i this week i've had a pretty i've had some deadlines and i haven't been able to put my daughter to bed and she's and the, i was home on time yesterday and she was literally fizzing jumping at the walls because she gets she actually got to see me of an evening now that that is my motivation 
Um, so to go to the question, how do you tell them? You just say, you've got to look at what your priorities are. At this moment, your priorities are studying. So you need to make sure that you leave the university with a good degree so that you can, can, you can do the things you want to do. I'm now at the point in my career where I can do what I choose to do in my career. I don't have to necessarily follow a path if I, don't, if I choose not to. And that's because I've spent years studying to get to this point. Um, whereas it's easy to, when you start, you're sort of looking at this big hill of minimum seven years. And you're like, oh, I want to do this and this, but I have to wait this time. And you've got to say to them, you've got to structure your time and you've got to just keep methodically working and, and, and looking for the joy in everything you do. Love it. I think I will extract that out. <laughs> that was a nice little tip on time management. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so why on earth did you put yourself up for our IBA council? Um, because I felt like for a while I was looking in at Gilded mm. sort of Castle with our IBA, even though there's a lot of talk on reform, a lot of inclusivity, and everyone I meet from the IBA is lovely and great conversations the institution as a whole feels like an old boys club and i know that name has been that has been thrown around a lot and and things like previous residents no disrespect to them it, it was like you've now you've you've gone through you've earned your stripes you've run a practice it's got this recognition now you can run for rba president um and for me I felt I, I I didn't agree with that, and I saw the grassroots movement, which which got the new prison elect elected Moyua, um, and I actually met him a few times, and mm. uh, and I I get on really well with him, and so I thought, okay, I don't want to go for president. I feel like I'm not I, I'm not ready for that. It's not something I want to sort of go through so quickly in my career. Um, so I'll go for council. You know, I'll get I'll get in to the rooms, and I'll try and understand what's going on, and see, okay. Can I affect change from the inside rather than throwing stones from the outside? Um, and the little inside, I mean, I didn't, I unfortunately did not get elected. And um, the people that, the two that did uh, were deserving of the, of, the, of the position. But I sort of saw, even in the election process, just things like there were no hustings for the, um, for the council candidates. Even though everything was quite transparent, and there, and I know there was a cutoff where you had to be a, an RBA member um, for a certain period of time to vote, or you had to be a certain uh, level to vote. So I had it where in in my office, a lot of the part twos, which was a lot of the office, were saying, "Oh, we want to vote for you because we know you." They came to vote, and they couldn't actually vote for me. They could only vote for student representatives. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm pretty sure there's reasons behind that and things like that. And even people who, because a lot of my social circle are not in architecture, deliberately so. I mean, I have a lot of friends in architecture, but I also have a life outside of architecture. A lot of my friends think I play The Sims all day. Um, so they <laughs> say, so, so you're you drawing with your arts degree. Um, so a lot of them were like, oh, I want to get involved. And they realize that they can't because they're not part of the RBA. Mm. Um, so things like that sort of lit a fire under me. And I was like, okay. Okay, if I stand, could I be an example? Because in my family, I'm the firstborn. I've got a younger sister. Um, and in a lot of my cousins, I'm, I'm on my mum's side, I'm the oldest cousin. And there's a lot of us. And on my dad's side, I'm sort of in the middle. But there's lots of us. And 
I've always I've always been an example for a lot of people because you know my parents moved here, they moved here, and a few of their friends moved as well, and family as well. So, but I've been I was the oldest child in that sort of group. <laughs> I've always been the example, and I've always been aware that you're not aware who's watching you. And I've had a few instances all through my career where um, I remember uh, previous practice I worked, I did some mentoring with the RABA, and I had students from um, UEL. Um, the, the pandemic sort of cut that short but whilst we were able to meet in person um, it, my job was just to give them tutorials and I'd invite them to my office um, to, to have the tutorials and I could see in their eyes these are guys who are not British heritage but they were really talented but seeing me seeing me coming to, to the office I was working at and coming into like you know the, the fancy glass office glass meeting rooms that every office has at the ground floor um, and and like being given a cup of tea by the receptionist and things like that they were saying oh wow like this is this is attainable i can do this and i said to them yeah let me be the example to you that even though i've been even though i've had a i've had not i wouldn't say i've had a experienced uh education uh, in architecture i still made it mm. and there are people who will have it harder people who have it easier but it is possible people who look like us and so standing for our be BI council I, I was like I want to be that example because I remember I grew up it was in the 90s and Stephen Lawrence we you know who was training to be an architect he grew up where I grew up we lived in the same rough area and he was five six years older than me so I remember that was a big shadow for me growing up like oh wow he was going to be an architect it didn't influence my decision but it felt like a happy coincidence I thought okay I look at how uh how his legacy was cut short. Could I take that baton on? Not that I'm taking the baton on for him, but could I be an example of someone who's five years behind me or 10 years or one year or two years? And I feel like, yeah, I could. Amazing. So um, are you involved in sort of peripheral RIBA bodies at the moment? Not at the moment. I'm, I'm trying to, and I think it's also one thing I'm, I'm fully aware of, in the profession, our mental health is 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 uh, is really important. So I try not to overload myself. Mm. Um, so I'm very much I, I'm I'm very I'm heavily involved with the NLA, the New London Architecture. I'm one of the next gens. Um, uh, so I sort of go to events and uh, and things like that. And I talk on panels that they have. Um, but I the RBA it's one of the things where after the um, elections, I'm sort of seeing how the dust settles. Mm -hmm. um, so if I can get involved yeah you're going to stand again next year I haven't thought I haven't because they come that. around really quickly they come very very quickly and I think yes they do. they do yeah and I think what yeah, was really strategically about it if you if yes. you want to start you know it's kind of like where are you going to be able to get the uh, exactly and, and so I mean I know I've got the support of my family um so that's not that's not a hurdle at all it's a decision mm. to, want to do it and also where do I want to go with my career um, because I'm aware RBA Council is not uh, it's not a bit part. It's you, if you get, I believe you're going to do something to do with your whole heart. Mm. And what I don't want to do is to, to um, get in the way of the day job because mm. trained for so long and I enjoy designing buildings. So I actually want to do what, what I've been training to do. So, so I haven't made up my mind yet. Um, great. Well, we're, we're coming to the end of the conversation. Is there anything you wanted to ask me? Um, yes. Uh, so with Pride Road, you've got a franchising model. Yes. How have you found? How have you found that working uh, business-wise? Because uh, when the, there's always a talk of oh, on a run practice, on to do it one day. 
but this is a this is a not a new way of doing it how did you stumble across it well um i i set up 2010 so 12 years ago on my own out of necessity um so i had been made redundant twice whilst on maternity leave i've got three kids so it's that work life balance thing mm -hmm. where kind of unfortunately life got in the way and work uh, couldn't quite cope with it so um so I was forced to set up um, and within a couple of years, um, I'd kind of found a, a really stable way of working. Um, so I kind of stuck to one sector, which for me is domestic residential. Um, and instead of reinventing the wheel in terms of process, not, not in terms of design, but in terms of process, um, I systemized everything. Mm -hmm. So systemized the way we contacted clients, we responded to clients and then how we, you know, pulled together fee proposals, uh, different works, responded at different work stages. And so, sorry, <laughs> I've just had a text message. I was like, what's that? Was life, life getting in the way? Um, yeah, um, so I systemized everything. And at the same time, I was chair of Women in Property Northwest. Mm -hmm. And then I started to get involved with the RIBA. So I was on the council between 2015 and 2018. And I could see the numbers of sort of women um, and minorities dropping out of the profession mm -hmm. at different touch points at um you know whilst there was for women there was a 50 50 um entry at university but then it dropped off significantly after yeah. part ones um and then on qualifying the numbers at the time were 17 and a half percent in on the riba um i think they're kind of picking back up but you still see a big dropout um at kind of age 30 yeah. um and so you know the, I, I realized that I found the right business model that suited having that work life balance mm -hmm. you know so you're not doing that 24 7 work um and kind of made it my mission to actually spread the word and use it as good practice mm -hmm. and the way I, I'm just using the franchise as a mechanism to be yeah. able to do that so um so the idea of the franchise is that um you would buy um you'd set up your own practice but under the pride road yeah. umbrella so you'd operate as pride road southeast or something whatever mm. um uh, you'd have our branding access to our portfolio um you would and systems and the mm. way of working and marketing and use our kind of business business skills so it sounds really cool mm. yeah yeah so the idea is it just takes the strain away from setting up because um at, you know at university for me you know it was um you know a lot of my contemporaries were like sons of architects mm. you know, very few daughters mm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but at the time, you know, it was lots of sons of architects. Um, so people had 
um you know there were a lot of people who were like yeah we'll set up on our you know yeah, of course i'll go and set up on on my own so you know they had the confidence to go and do it whereas I, in reality you know kind of i never saw myself as setting up a practice i always thought i'd work for other people yeah so this is that halfway that kind of yeah. third option of being able to step out and set up on your own but with um with support yeah i think it's good because i mean it's, it's interesting you said the confidence to set up on your own because mm. um I'm, I'm sort of into camps part mm. of me is very maverick like yeah i can go and do it if i decide to do it tomorrow i can go and do it and but the other half of me is i've i've got mortgage to pay for i've got mm. a roof over our heads to make sure we keep Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, it's, it's. I mean, things are precarious, thankfully. But it's that that it's that thing of well, okay, yes, I'm confident, but I'm also very realistic of what could could happen. So it's really interesting just to see that. Seeing it's it's been nice to see how it continues to grow. Thank you very much. Right, I could carry on talking to you, but I'm afraid I need to head off. Um, that was um really interesting. We should carry on talking another time yeah um, yeah yeah um so well thank you very much for for joining um uh me so we've not even talked about where you practice or what you're <laughs> doing or what's next um if you drop me drop me a bio mm-hmm. and i'll put it in the description so if Thank anyone you. wants to follow you or get yeah. in contact or find out more uh, it'll be there. Yeah. So I mean, that that was deliberate. I mean, it means you have to come happy back now. I've, I've, I've got <laughs> a little taste of who I am now. You have to come back. <laughs> with potatoes, so. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me, Lisa Rains, for Architecture in the Dam. If you want to find out about franchising, check out our website, prideroadfranchise.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and leave a review. And do get in touch through your favourite platform if you'd like to be a guest.